if you can actually you yourself as the marketer talk to a customer about why they bought your product and what problems it solved for them specifically. So the very specific person and then for the greater company as a whole. That's amazing. Very valuable insights. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Confessions of the B2B Marketer podcast. We have a massive episode for you today. Mary Keogh of Map My Customer is joining. So previously of the industrial marketing world, recently moved to Map My Customer and we cover her LinkedIn playbook, what you should be doing as a new B2B marketing hire in the first 30 days and also one strategy that you must be implementing in 2023. But before that, we must give a massive shout out to Sastock USA. We got some massive names speaking. We got Will May, the CRO of ClickUp. We have Nathan Latka of FoundPath. We have Quith Walker of Refine Labs. And if you want a 20% discount on your ticket, click the link in the show notes below. You'll be taken to a page that will have that discount applied so you can pick up that ticket. So we're talking Austin in Texas, May the 31st until June the 2nd, 2023. It's going to be massive. Here's a direct quote from Patrick Campbell of ProfitWell. Meaningful conversations happen face-to-face. Relationships are forged and opportunities are accelerated. And let's jump into today's episode. Mary, welcome to the show. Yeah, Tom, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I have been not stalking you on LinkedIn, but like I've been aware of your post on LinkedIn for a while now. And <laughs> that's awesome. Just quite interested first in like the career journey, right? Because it seems like you started crushing marketing in the industrial space first and then became maybe like the biggest, most well-known industrial marketing person maybe in the world. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but then, and we can talk about the move after that later, but I just want to understand like, was there a specific reason that you chose to focus on the industrial marketing world? Yeah, so my focus on industrial marketing specifically only came out of my total imposter syndrome in the marketing world. So I actually graduated with an English degree, started out as a technical writer for a big manufacturing industrial company, and then slowly moved into marketing. I loved it. It was really fun. I just had this like innate passion for it, but I had no schooling in it. I didn't really know how to quote unquote do it. So I had this kind of imposter syndrome just because I had not learned how to do it in any other way other than through experience. So my expertise in industrial only came because I was like, well, I can't talk about B2B SaaS marketing. I can't talk about B2C marketing. Um, I can't talk about anything else except my experience specifically in industrial. And the really neat thing that I found out after I started posting on LinkedIn and becoming a little more ingrained in that industrial community specifically is that there is a huge gap in knowledge. So there's a ton of people on LinkedIn posting podcasts in communities in the B2B tech space or even like SaaS space, but nothing in industrial, healthcare, finance, like you name it, fill in the blank on another one. So the gap in industrial is really why I started doing it and then continue to do it today. So it seems like you essentially marketed yourself very well. You saw this underserved niche for information and became like the leader. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned when you started posting on LinkedIn as you were just talking, when roughly was that? 
Yep. So I started posting on LinkedIn in the summer of 2021. And that is unique because it's when I moved into corporate marketing on in the industrial company I was a part of a few years ago. I was in kind of like a weird like business development marketing role in the R&D department and then moved up into corporate marketing. And I sat in, I had already been listening to Chris Walker from Refine Labs for a while now and finally got a chance to sit in on one of his live events. And his live event, of course, fitting for today's talk is how to post on LinkedIn. So how to get started on LinkedIn, why you should do it. And I was absorbing everything he was saying. I understood it, but I was kind of scared. You know, I didn't have a ton of experience. Like I said, not a lot of schooling and marketing. So I posted a question in the chat and said, Hey, what should I post about if I don't feel like I'm an expert? If I don't feel like I have enough experience to be publicly posting on LinkedIn? And all he said was work in public. Just talk to people about what you're doing right now and why you think what you're doing is important to the greater business strategy. So that's exactly what I did. And it just kind of everything took off from there. Which then begs the question, because just recently in the last month or two have, I believe, left the world of industrial marketing. Yeah, that's right. And so was there, because obviously we were like building up, you like position yourself as the leading light in industrial marketing. Was there like any specific reason why you thought it was time to move on? Yes. So mostly the challenge. So in the industrial marketing world, I was on agency side and I love, love, loved my job. I got to work with seven of my own clients, but then got to touch the 25 clients that we had in our portfolio at the time. So just got to see the way that a lot of industrial and manufacturing and even like into the industry 4.0 space. So maybe software providers who specifically do like maybe robotics integration or service maintenance for CNC machines, stuff like that. And I felt like I was getting, I was rolling, everything was going great. I was learning a ton, but I was kind of missing that like next thing. Like I felt like there was something I had to do on my own. So from the agency side, it's great, but you fit a very specific niche in a company's marketing or business strategy. So for the agency I was working at, Gorilla76, we were doing mainly digital marketing. And I was on the strategy side. So I was doing a lot of the building of the strategy and then kind of telling my internal team how we were going to execute on that strategy. So I had a content person under, a videographer, graphic design, website developer, amazing resources, but I didn't really get to do a lot of the execution on my own. So there was this like kind of passionate part of me, especially as someone who loves marketing, to just execute a strategy on my own, like see what it would be like to take a company from zero to one or 10 to 100 or something like that. So... Yeah, that was the main purpose of my move, but I have no intention of necessarily staying in B2B SaaS and never going back to industrial. It just came at a really great opportunity. And the company that I work for now, Met My Customers, I'm really passionate about the product. It's a CRM for field sales. So like outside sales teams sell into the manufacturing space. So I still know the space really well. And I've been very passionate about CRMs if you've read any of my recent LinkedIn posts about them. So to be clear, does the company only sell into industrial? No. So right now, we're still in kind of the stage where we're trying to decide on product market fit. 
We're finding a lot of success in the industrial manufacturing space, but also finding a lot of success, interestingly, in kind of that med device biotech space too. Nice. Okay. And so let's make this a little bit tangible and actionable for the new uh, B2B marketers going into, let's say, a, a small to mid-sized B2B business, whether it's SaaS or service. Like what does someone do in the first, let's say, 30 to 45 days? Yeah. So I think there are two really big things that you can do to set yourself up for success in the first 30 days. Number one is customer listening or customer research. If you can like actually you yourself as the marketer, talk to a customer about why they bought your product and what problems it solved for them specifically. So the very specific person and then for the greater company as a whole. That's amazing. Very valuable insights. I'm lucky that we use a call reporting software in-house. So I was also able to listen to a lot of demos, onboarding sessions. We call them QBRs, which are quarterly business reviews. So got to watch a lot of those recordings and find out what questions customers were asking, what features piqued their interest, and just took really, really diligent notes. So that was, I mean... Probably the first week, almost all I did was listen to customer calls or sit in on customer calls or do some form of customer research. That's such an important database that every B2B company should have. And I guess since these cool recording softwares have come in, they're going to do that automatically. But if people are either not using that, they should really trying to record everything because it's like this, there's such valuable information in there. Yes, I could not agree more. Like that is just invaluable information, not only for marketing, but I know our product team uses it to prioritize certain items on the roadmap. I know sales uses it to do coaching. So our sales leadership will help coach sales people through like how to handle objections better, that kind of thing. And then of course, customer success uses it to see what was important to the customer at the time of the demo. So during the sales conversation, and how can we use that to make successful goals for using the product later down the road? Nice. Okay. So that's the first thing. Yeah. Okay. So first thing, I'll call it qualitative. So that qualitative bucket would be listening to customers, getting a really great idea of your market and your customers specifically and how your product solves their problem. Number two would be quantitative. So hopefully most SaaS companies do have a CRM analyzing all of your sources. So your go-to-market sources, it could be cold outbound, could be the website, could be ABM. Maybe you're doing some kind of field marketing, but analyzing your pipeline sources and seeing what the lead to opportunity to customer conversion rate is across all of those pipeline sources and what they've been like quarter over quarter. So I'll give you an example very specifically from my time at Map My Customers so far. We were doing really two things with the website. So we could either take a tour of the product and then convert on a demo page. So... We use Nevadic, if you're familiar with it. Click through the product tour. A couple CTAs would pop up throughout and you could book a demo with a salesperson on our team. The second one was basically like low intent lead gen. So gated eBooks, gated content downloads, stuff like that. What I found out is a significant portion of our marketing budget was going toward the blog. So gated content and eBooks. But... We use HubSpot, so I was able to kind of see which landing pages were resulting in the most leads. Were those leads turning into opportunity? 
What was the opportunity value? And then were they actually converting into customers? And what I quickly found out is no, they weren't. And although the blog was a significant part of our marketing budget, it was not attributing a ton of results either. So first thing I did was kill the blog in short answer. Wow. And I bet that saved that unlocked quite a lot of budget that you can now reinvest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So first thing we're actually reinvesting in is kind of like doubling down on that product tour. So ton of people, really, really low amount of leads coming from the product tour because it was a little bit long and cumbersome. And some of the CTAs weren't as great as I would have hoped they were on the website, which is totally fine. But they were resulting in a lot of leads and those leads were converting into opportunities in customers. So using a lot of that marketing budget to kind of reframe the structure of the website. So not necessarily redesign it. It looks fine. It operates fine. We don't need to be investing in this huge website overhaul anytime soon, but just restructuring it to make that flow a little bit easier. So making conversion points more like see how the product works and then book a demo with a sales rep. Yeah, what I like about this is I think sometimes when new marketing people join businesses, they're like, they wouldn't do the two things that you suggested, which are the most valuable. And then they'll be like, we need a new website. And they'll spend six months and a lot of money building this thing. Yes. That, and they won't generate any results in the first six months. But it seems like your product demo tweaks, which I now believe are live because you put on LinkedIn for feedback, right? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so we'll get to LinkedIn later in the discussion. But You've now so tweaked and improved that product tour. It's live on the site. And presumably this one's going to convert better. Yeah, so far we've seen two demos already booked from it. So we just did it, let's see, 10 days ago as of today. And we've gotten two demos. Love it. So yeah, I totally agree with these two approaches. The qualitative to really get to know the customers and then the quantitative to really understand what is working and what isn't. Yeah, exactly. And then maybe step three is then using what you've learned to do things. Is that right? So that's exactly it. (laughs) To reassigning budget, as you said. Okay, cool. And anything else that somebody just joining a B2B SaaS company should be doing in the first 30 days? I think meeting, I would kind of call it table stakes, but only because my company is small. There's only 11 people in the US right now. So meeting with everyone on your team is huge. So if you're going into a larger company, Maybe your marketing team is like 20 people, your sales team is 30, and your product team is who knows how many. Meeting with those key stakeholders, I think, is huge. And not just meeting them. Like I think a lot of people might throw away the initial meeting and just say, oh, who are you? How do you fit into the company? No, it's like, what do you feel like are gaps that marketing can fill? How can I make your job easier? I might not be able to do it today or even next month, but I want to put it on a list. I want to let you know that marketing is listening to you and that we're responding to the needs of your department. Makes total sense. Yeah, I found, because I did this, I joined a B2 SaaS company, maybe similar size, about three or four years ago. And I think one of the most, I'm not saying I did a great job, but one of the good things I think I did was like, we used to just go and sit down with the sales team. Like they would show me what they're doing. I'd stay in some calls. Just to like really, this can be quite a lot of tension in that relationship, right? So just to show them that... Oh, for sure. Yeah. You're listening. Yes. Yeah. So one of the things that came out of the sales team, I meet with my sales team at least once a week, sometimes two, three times a week, just depending on what we need from each other. But one of the big pain points of our sales team at the time was they didn't like sending prospects the product tour because at the time it was too long. They didn't like sending them any pages on the website because they didn't feel like it told a good story. 
And then they weren't sending them any videos because we didn't really have any. And then we did have a pitch deck. But again, going back to that story, they just felt like it wasn't really accurately giving the prospect an idea of who Map My Customers was and how it added value to an organization. So one of the first things execution-wise that I wanted to do was like, what's the lowest hanging fruit here? Like, how can I help you give your prospects something better? So the pitch deck was number one on their list. They're like, I need a good pitch deck because what I can do with that is make a copy, maybe take one or two slides of it, save it as a PDF and send it along. Or I can send along the whole thing. A pitch deck is just my lowest hanging fruit. I said, great. So we just sat in on like, I think it ended up being like a 90 minute teardown of the pitch deck. I listened to them the first call, created a new one, like 10 pages, and then just made them rip it apart. I was like, you tell me everything. Like, what am I missing here? Why is this value prop not good? What kind of use cases can we do? Do you guys have any stats or data that supports this? So it was really fun. It was like a great exercise. And I think it did two things really successfully. Number one, it made a great pitch deck. And number two, it really showed sales that they could trust me as the marketing team and that I was listening and executing on their needs. Yeah, that's key. And now they're probably like talking and telling you like Mary's in marketing. She's so great. She listens to us. Yeah, exactly. Crucial. Now, I want to take us back in time a little bit because a post I saw, I think a couple of months ago, you were talking about what is like crucial in 2023 for any B2B marketer. And you've actually done this twice, I believe, and this is communities. So the two I have here written down, Industrial Marketing Life and Spray Tech Talk. So I would love to get an overview of this approach, how you did it for them, and then also, if applicable, what you might be planning to do for the current business. Yeah, awesome. So I'll start with Spray Tech Talk since it's the one that was farther past. So what this is at its most essential was just a monthly webinar. I mean, it wasn't anything fancy. We didn't do it using fancy equipment. We recorded it over Zoom. We invited only current customers and then let them share the link if they wanted to. We told salespeople in our organization if they wanted to share it with any customers or prospects. And we did a few things, I think, that were really essential to making it the success that it was. And that was number one, it was purely educational. So there was no selling of a product. It wasn't a product demo of any kind. Our products just kind of naturally fit in well to the overarching conversation. So that did one thing, it added credibility. So people felt like they could come back and they weren't going to get pitched a hundred times during or after the webinar. And then from there, we posted it on YouTube. We did some clips. And I mean, Tom, these clips were like not fancy. We did it in like just snipped little sections and then added some like AI transcription on them, posted those on YouTube, let salespeople use those. And then what we got was just really cool. Not only did internal people, so salespeople in the organization, they wanted to share it with customers and prospects. And it was this regular occurring event. So they could say, hey, sign it up for it now. If you can't make this one, make the next one. It's done every month, like show up, ask me some questions after or before. Who was that you? You were the person who was taking the questions. No, no. So that's also another key, adding trust and credibility is me as the marketer. This was an engineering company. I have no background in engineering. I knew our product fairly well, but the key was getting 
a product engineer, a project engineer on as our subject matter expert, a really cool salesperson. And we hired sales engineers. So they had an engineering background. They knew the product really well. And they were really the hosts of the show. And I acted as kind of the back-end moderator. And then all they had to do was show up. I think that was key. So there was no big, you don't have to prepare the presentation. I will make it for you. I send out all the emails. I do all the recordings. So just making it very easy for them to say yes. Makes sense. And how did you know that this was successful? Obviously, we had the salespeople that wanted you to do it so they could have the content and they wanted to share the link. But were there any other indicators? So I knew it would be successful before we started because we did this pre-COVID. So this was during 2020, 2021. So everything was shut down and we had two to three times a year, just depending on the year, we would invite customers and prospects to what was then called the Spray Technology Seminar. And it was live in person. You stayed for two days, lots of lectures and like one-on-one discussions, take-home stuff, all that good stuff. But obviously got shut down during COVID. So I was like, well, I mean, we should just take the lectures that we do during that seminar, break them up and make them this year-long monthly recurring event. So that's exactly what we did and ended up being really successful. Got it. Makes total sense. And that was the same playbook implemented for... Industrial Marketing Live? It was a similar playbook. We were, I think Industrial Marketing Live was more successful because number one, I had more leadership buy-in for Industrial Marketing Live. Gorilla76 has two founders, John and Joe. And they were like, we know this is going to work. Do whatever you want. Like, (laughs) Take whatever resources you need. You tell us, we know this is the play. So that was really, really helpful. And then number two, the internal subject matter expertise inside Gorilla was amazing. And it was marketers talking to marketers. So I got to be part of the host, which made it way more fun for me, but also helped us because we just had such a breadth of expertise in the agency. So I think that really helped lend like the trust and credibility aspect to Industrial Marketing Live as a community. And so were you able to tie clients back to the this series? Like uh, leads and opportunities? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So we got, at the time that I left, I think we had two customers and maybe four or five opportunities like straight from Industrial Marketing Live. But the really cool thing is because we had a lot of resources and we kind of knew how to run the quote-unquote playbook for webinars, which is you have the one-hour recorded webinar, post it as a podcast, post clips on LinkedIn. I think we're even on TikTok now, which is really cool and see what comes in. So not only could we tie it back to Industrial Marketing Live as the event, but it could be tied back to podcast clips, YouTube episodes. So that part was just really cool that we were able to scale it at that effort too. I think the key part for this, because I've considered it, is getting people to attend. And I like how you did it with Spray Tech Talks. Because it was almost like a little bit exclusive, right? Just customers or they could share it if they want. Uh, was it the same, like, the, I guess the distribution to get people to attend live, was that the same for the second one? Or are there any other gems you can share about that? Yeah, I think we did it all grassroots word of mouth in both instances. I think Gorilla76 was a little bit more successful because we had so many people posting on LinkedIn and driving folks to it. 
And I think part of the exclusivity of Industrial Marketing Live was what we talked about earlier, which is being in that niche of industrial. So everyone in that community. So right now, I think we have like three to 500 registrants for the event on any given week. And then our Slack community for Industrial Marketing Live is up to like 150 people, which is just so cool. And they're all in the industrial manufacturing space. So I think it's exclusivity of like a different kind. That was such a good play for the agency because I doubt any kind of community existed for these types of marketers before. No, I mean, there's a couple podcasts out in the industrial slash manufacturing marketing space. There's a couple really cool people to follow on LinkedIn. But to your point, there was no place. There was no place to have an ongoing conversation. Yeah, so these people were producing content as were you guys, but there was also the ability for people to communicate with each other. And it was all like branded and sponsored or provided by the agency. So yeah, great move. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think we started out just like not knowing how really cool it was going to be, like how resonant it was going to be with the industrial marketing community. I think we just started it because we truly just wanted to help industrial marketers. There's not a lot of resources out there for them in general. But then as we saw so much traction in the early days, it was very easy for us to say, yes, hit the gas pedal, give this any kind of wood on the fire that it needs. That's actually the key as well. I think what you just shared is if you start it with a view to just generating leads, people like immediately will feel this. But if you start it with a true like genuine mission to help, then you'll get the attention and ideally get the deals afterwards. I want to quickly switch lanes though, because as I mentioned, I have been following your LinkedIn for a while and there's incredible posts, like very well written, perfect formatting, like so much detail and value. So I just want to dig into your like LinkedIn publishing, like plan, how you do it. I mean, maybe why you do it, any other tips for building engagement on LinkedIn? Yeah. So the reason I started posting on LinkedIn was truly to engage with others, first of all. So I talked a little bit about how I started posting after watching Chris Walker and just really felt like I didn't have a ton of value to necessarily contribute to the LinkedIn community. But I did want to work in public and see if I could get feedback from people who I really respected in the LinkedIn community. Gorilla76 had already started posting, so I followed a lot of people there. I think you might be familiar with MJ Peters slash Smith now. She was at Refine Labs and is now at Colab Software. So those were two big heavy hitters in the industrial marketing space who I followed and wanted to network with. And then as I started doing more and then started working at Gorilla76 and posting more in-depth content, community kind of grew from there. And I really found out the three keys to LinkedIn success. And those keys are quality, consistency, and reach. So if you are not finding success on LinkedIn, I can probably almost certainly tie it back to one of those three key areas. So you need to post quality content. So you just said, there's a lot of value, which I really appreciate. Thank you for saying that. In my posts, Like I want to do heavy hitting posts that will help people do better in their marketing roles. So that's quality. Number two is consistency. So I post three to five times a week, every single week since August of 2021. And then number three is reach. So you have to post quality content consistently to a large audience. 
So if you only have 200 connections, but you're posting on LinkedIn, your reach is going to be really low and you're probably not going to see a lot of success or traction on LinkedIn. So you have to go out and network. You have to add people to your network. You have to grow the potential audience that you can reach with your quality content posted consistently. Makes sense. My question is about your process or the amount of time you spend on creating the quality content. Like, do you just say on a Friday morning, I'm writing for three hours? What do you do every day before you post? Like, how does that work? Yeah, my posts are all original content posted 20 minutes before I decide to post that morning. So a lot of my content right now in the as a head of marketing for a SaaS company is working in public. So a lot of it is what I'm doing right now and why. When I was at the agency, we kind of had some like major themes or pillars of content that we talked about. Um, data, marketing strategy, creating content, distributing content, and then creating the marketing foundations or the fundamentals. So those were pretty easy because you kind of would just recycle those themes and you could pull content from there. But now it's like, it's a big working in public play, which I think is really fun. Got it. So you sit down and you'll be like, I want to post today. You'll write it 20, 30 minutes and post it and that's it. Yep, that's it. Wow, that's pretty impressive for some of the length and the, the density of these posts I'm seeing. So awesome. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. I've had a lot of practice. <laughs> Got it. We actually skipped a question. Maybe this is purposeful. But the community play that we just broke down, are you planning, potentially planning something like this for Map My customers? For sure. Yep. I think the I'm pushing for a weekly webinar, but we'll see how that's received by our sales and product team. We'll probably start as maybe an every other week or monthly webinar. But the cool thing about Map My customers, they already had a podcast in place. So they were already used to creating some like really in-depth quality content. And their podcast is actually really good. So we'll probably pushing, yeah, definitely pushing to the live recorded event, published as a podcast, separated into clips, and then distributed on organic and paid channels. And is the like the niche to focus, is it going to be field sales? I think that's like the core user of the product, right? Yes. Yep. It'll definitely be field sales teams ranging from... So we have like three major personas, the individual field rep, the field or territory manager, and then the big VP of sales. Got it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, thank you. Mary, thank you so much for coming on, sharing. So we covered the LinkedIn skills, the community building, and then also like behind the scenes of your career strategy. (laughs) (laughs) But no, really good. Thank you so much. And I hope we got specific as well for the audience about starting as a new B2B marketer. That was probably the most valuable thing, I think, the, the qualitative and the quantitative work you must do in the first 30 days. Anything else to share with the audience? If you have any questions or follow-ups after my conversation with Tom, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I answer all my DMs. I think Tom had to prod me a few times to come on the podcast, but I promise I will respond. Yeah, for sure. So we'll link to Mary's LinkedIn below. We'll link to Grilla76. We will link to Map My Customers and anything else you want us to link to as well. No, that's great. Amazing. Mary, thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thanks so much, Mary, for that. As I mentioned, the qualitative and quantitative analysis that must be done when you join a new B2B company was the big takeaway for me, plus the power and really the simplicity of the community strategy that Mary shared. So all those links will be in the comments below. If you have any feedback, please give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, and then you send me a screenshot, I'll give you a shout out in an outro of a future episode. 
thank you so much for listening.